in James chapter 3. We're going to be starting with the first verse of that chapter in just a few moments. Do you remember playing with your friends when you were young and someone said something mean to you? Do you still remember it? These things happen, seems like, most often at the playground or in the neighborhood. A kid that you didn't know very well or didn't get along with would just let it fly and say something mean that would embarrass you in front of everyone. I remember in elementary school, I have a vivid memory of this happening to me, and I came back with the best line that I had at the time, which wasn't very good, but it was, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Isn't it curious how that tradition uh, gets handed down to each generation of children who have repeated this? Probably an adult coached me about this, or I heard it from another kid who was trying to defend themselves from a put-down. I think we repeated that line to show how tough we were, bravely saying it to prove that their words had no impact on us. Maybe the modern-day version of... Whatever. I remember thinking how I was going to show that jerky kid that I was above their taunts and name calling. Um, You can hurt my body, but not my heart. But we're never above the hurtful words said to us, are we? We remember words that people have said about us long, long ago that still sting. Even if it wasn't true, we believed it. Or maybe there was a thread of truth that that person was saying to us, and we made it bigger than it was, not able to laugh it off. The scars of the body and the heart are ones that we can point to today. We've turned to a new topic in the letter of James sent to the church, one that we all understand, the tongue. A few weeks ago, we briefly talked about this, and now James is going into more detail about how we must be very cautious with its use. While Paul laments that he can't help doing what he doesn't want to do, James gives a long teaching about the tongue. But we know this is really about our communication to one another in life, because words are powerful Our tongues are vitally important and have to be regulated and channeled with God's help as we use them. So hear the word of the Lord from James 3, starting at verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For all of us make many mistakes. Anyone who makes no mistakes in speaking is perfect able to keep the whole body in check with a bridle. If we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we guide their whole bodies. Or look at chips. Though they are so large that it takes strong winds to drive them, yet they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great exploits. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue is placed among our members as a world of iniquity. It stains the whole body, sets on fire the cycle of nature, and is itself set on fire by hell. 
for every species of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by the human species. But no one can tame the tongue, a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and brackish water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, yield olives or grape, uh, grapevine figs? No more can salt water yield fresh. Let's pray. God, your word is inspired. You uh, inspire it as we read it, and your spirit now is here to teach us. And so humbly, God, we come before you asking for your wisdom to illuminate our hearts and minds as your people. Amen. Words are powerful. With a word, God spoke the universe into being. And God designs us to have the ability to express our deepest feelings, our highest thoughts, our worst laments, our hopes for the future, our most beautiful poetry. With words, governments are formed. Minds are taught and inspired. Science moves forward. Legal decisions are handed down. Catchy tunes have meaning. People fall in love. Disputes are settled. And communication keeps us connected. We record faithfully a baby's first word. And hold close often what someone's last words were. The kind of words we use show our character And how we say our words often tell where we're from. Jesus is the word at the beginning of creation and the word who became flesh. He is the message to the world of what God is like and what salvation means for us. With words, we ask for forgiveness. We speak his truth. We protect others with words. We give strength and comfort and counsel and offer peace. God's people should be known for their careful speech and self-control. The tongue is one of the greatest powers for good in the world, and it is also hugely destructive, as James has reminded us. In this passage, reminiscent so much of wisdom literature from the Old Testament, James is telling us, watch your words. Watch them carefully. We want to pay attention to his warning and to the guidance he gives because this is a reality we all live with daily and we know it. There are four ideas here about the tongue. They remind us that with God's help, it is our responsibility to manage the tongue's power. First, idea number one. Those who teach utilize words as a way of influencing others. Teaching is communicating truth for the purpose of learning. James counsels those listening that not many of them should exercise this gift because there is great accountability for it. Teachers were greatly honored in the early church, but their high visibility put them at risk. This was a time that hypocrisy and false doctrine were first threatening the church and it needed protection. Now, when we think about James's words, they make a lot of sense. Teachers are responsible for what they say. There is a power differential often between them and the students. 
They are molding younger or less informed minds. They are seen as the authority on the subject at hand. They impart knowledge that they also, but how they themselves see the world comes into play. There is a trust with teachers conferred on them by others in authority that they indeed have the skill set and the wisdom to do this work. James is not only talking to the audience, he puts himself in the mix saying, we will be judged. We all make many mistakes. Everyone, he says, stumbles when teaching. Even when we have planned words to say, we can slip up, say a careless thing, something very different than what we meant. In the Judaism of James's day, the rabbi was treated with the utmost respect. It was the standard that a man's duty to his rabbi came before his duty to his parents. While his parents may have brought him into the world, the rabbi brought him into the world to come. And it was taught that if a man's parents and a man's teacher were captured by the enemy, the rabbi must be saved first. That's a lot of pressure. As we read this, we might wonder a few things. James is teaching the church because somehow the teachers aren't doing their job. They don't seem to be teaching about caring for the poor or how the believers should love one another without favoritism. And maybe his letter is putting the teachers on notice, especially since he is the head at the church of Jerusalem. He is their overseer. And I wonder if he is not discouraging people from teaching, not so much telling them not to do it, but maybe saying, hey, don't teach for the wrong reasons. Don't teach with low standards. Don't teach when there's chaos in your life. Those who teach use the power of the spoken and the written world. It's out there for everyone to see and to criticize it if it's not done well. But I've also always read this as a reminder that teachers are going to have to answer to the Lord for how they instructed his people and how they lived out their lives as people of influence. Even Jesus put himself under God's covering when he said, my teaching isn't mine. But it is from the one who sent me. The one who speaks for himself seeks his own glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true. And there is no unrighteousness in him. I would put a lot of people into this category of teaching. Teachers, of course, of all ages, outside and inside the church. Coaches, parents, small group leaders, pastors, missionaries, writers, therapists, mentors, grandparents, bosses, everyone who educates in some way. If you are in this category, how do you hear James's warning? Does it have meaning for you? How do you live out the work of teaching with humility, not lording over those with power that you have been given Do you teach to give God glory as your main motivation? There's so much damage that has been done by bad teachers. And James is telling the church, tread very carefully in this area. The second idea is this. Controlling our tongue is vital for the direction of our lives. 
In verse 3, James gives vivid illustrations about how horses and ships are directed by objects which are little in comparison. In addition to wisdom literature, James is using familiar word pictures from ancient philosophers to make his point. Sophocles taught about spirited horses broken by a bit. Aristotle taught about a rudder having the power to move a great bulk of a ship. James is an educated person. But his point is this. It just takes a small bit to guide a large horse and a small rudder to steer a ship. But the tongue is hard to control. It's not big, but it wields great power over the body. And what does its main function seem to be, James says? He says, boasting. Boasting is what the tongue does of its great exploits. The bit and the rudder are used positively here. The tongue is not. We are reminded that words are actions that can lead to harm. Warren Wearsby makes a good point when he says that both the bit and the rudder have to overcome contrary forces. The bit has to overcome the wild nature of the horse, and the rudder has to fight the winds and the currents that would drive the ship off course. But the human tongue also has to overcome forces, doesn't it? The old nature that wants to sin. The circumstances that drag a person down. These powerful dual pressures threaten to overturn our lives, causing us to go in a contrary direction. James doesn't give us much to work with here in terms of what we can do. But we understand that the Spirit lives in us and helps us to grow in Him. And one way that we see maturity is through fruit of the Spirit, which, of course, in this sense, would be self-control. Pastor Denny has written a good book about the ecosystem of discipleship. And he does something interesting. He links together this practice of spiritual disciplines with how God brings fruit to bring us to maturity in our lives and also how he enables us to use our gifts. And he writes that one of the ways self-control is able to grow in us is actually through fasting. And I was thinking in this case... That fasting could be taking time in quiet. Now, I know that's also the the practice of silence, but listen to me for a second, my words. Fasting from the need to talk. Fasting from the need to make our opinions known to everybody. Fasting from the need to be right all the time. You see, often our whole being and our lives are led by our words. And wouldn't it be helpful to take a step back and to look at all of the places where the power of our words have effect? What would it look like if we took a fast from talking so much at home, in our jobs, on social media? Oh. Wherever we use words to communicate, we have to think about how much we're saying and what the content is. What effect are we having in the digital and the physical places where we live? What is in charge? An out-of-control tongue? Or a will that is trying to be centered on Christ with the help of the God who made us? The tongue has great power, and we have to work to put it in its proper place. Number three, evil is against us, tempting us to be its mouthpiece. 
We were vulnerable to forces outside of our control, James says. He uses more metaphors here, saying how the tongue can set whole forests on fire because it is a flame lit by hell. This isn't just strong language. This is an indictment against humanity. All of animals can be tamed, James says, but the tongue cannot. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. We know we have lived with the truth that fire consumes everything in its path. I remember watching from my kitchen window early the morning after the Thomas fire started in Ventura. And it was dark, but there was this weird orange eerie glow. And as I was praying for the people who were experiencing the fire, it never occurred to me that the fire would travel all the way here. Anybody? And threatened so many lives and homes along the way. But James is saying this is exactly how words work. A spark is started in one place, and then the effects of the word spread in all kinds of direction, which completely unstoppable to the person who started it. James is telling us how the tongue has power for evil in that way. He also says the tongue is a poison. We know that poisons are very deceptive because they secretly and slowly kill. Words, he said, are like this. And sometimes they slowly and secretly kill relationships and reputations and churches and families and individuals. Even whole nations are felled by the evil of the tongue. I read in three different sources this week how for every word of Hitler's book, Mein Kampf, 125 lives were lost in World War II. Words have power. We have to be discerning about the words that we're listening to, about the words that we're saying. Words have power. James is not, he's not, he's unrelenting here. There's not much good that are going on here. We're incapable, he says, of taming our tongues. And the sooner we acknowledge our lack of power over it, the better off we will be because only God, only God can help us. We are vulnerable to the power of evil, and we don't fight this evil on our own. The image of an animal tamer is a good one here. I was thinking, a dog doesn't train itself. We have a master who is able to help us in our weakness. He is purposeful. He is kind. He enables us to surrender our will to his. And under his care, our tongues become what he uses to build up his body and lead others to him. He has created us so that our tongues would give him glory. And you think about the fact that James's metaphors can be turned around. Fire doesn't have to be bad. How many preachers have you seen on fire for Jesus? Right? Paul is spreading poison all over the Mediterranean world and the Lord stops him. And now Paul uses that same tool that he has been given to draw people to Christ, not to spread poison. In God's hands, our weaknesses become strengths. So I want you to think about a weakness that you have with the tongue. And how is it that you think that weakness could be turned around by the Lord so that he can use it for his purposes. Idea number four. With our mouth, we bless God and curse others. James ends by detailing how we are double-minded in our lives. 
how we give God praise from our mouth and also with the same mouth we spew hate to others. And he says this should never happen. And in case we don't understand what that means, he gives ideas from nature about water and vegetation. Cursing other people can look like lots of different things. I think that people curse others when they lack an understanding of what it means to see others as made in the image of God. If you are able to compartmentalize how you love, I would encourage you to think about the implications of what this means in your life. We cannot bifurcate our souls. That is not what the Lord has for us. In all times and cultures, there has always been an aspect of people blessing and cursing. The highest form of speech we can offer is to bless someone in the name of the Lord. And the lowest is to condemn them. And the church is meant to bless people, to bring God's living presence wherever we go. And especially at important times of people's lives. We bring encouragement and prayer and truth and kindness and counsel. And we use the power of our tongues for his good. When God's people tear down other people, when they damn others, using the power of their words to tear down or gossip or lie or threaten or abuse, we show we are unstable in how it is that we trust God. If we ever wish harm on anyone or desire for them to permanently go away, that is the kind of cursing James is talking about. Every person is made in God's image. And James is reminding us that everyone should be treated that way. In all of this, we know that the tongue is an instrument of the heart. We show who we are by the words that we use. I want to end with some words from Jesus in Matthew. Jesus here is talking to teachers. And it is very clear that James... Um, has taken these words and used them in his own teaching. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good things when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person brings good things out of a good treasure, and the evil person brings evil things out of an evil treasure. I tell you on the day of judgment, you will have to give an account for every careless word you utter. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. God is the one who cleanses our lips. He is the one who guides us into truth. He is the one who knows our hearts before a word is even formed on our mouth and wants to help us know what to say. He sings over us with words of delight and life. His love was spoken by Jesus on the cross. God is the one who sends us out to tell the good news. And so may we look to him for healing. For all of the words that have ever been said about us that ripped our hearts apart. And may we look to him for forgiveness. For the words that we have carelessly said. For the words that we have unjustly said. For the words that we have said that have caused deep hurt. May we trust in the power of his word for all we say and do. 
Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.